Hey guys, thanks for listening to Worst Pod. This episode is me playing armchair philosopher um, about a film, but like trying to discuss broader, more relevant, personally and societally relevant uh, themes in the context of this film. So uh, it's it's pretty deep, but it's also just like winding musing that somehow doesn't go off the tracks. So <laughs> um, even though I I uh, I feel like it's not as intelligent as it aims to be, as it aimed to be when I started it, it's at least, uh, hopefully, hopefully it will give you at least a couple things to think about that you haven't thought about before, or maybe a different way to think about things that you have thought before. So if you're interested, this is about uh, the underlying themes of Ingrid Goes West, a movie you can watch on Hulu. And the themes are, I think, more relevant today than they have ever been in recent history, maybe even longer than that. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. And then at the very end, I talk a little bit about uh, COVID-19 and what the implications of uh, society, what the implications are in society of a generation that isn't having direct physical social interaction. So uh this is this is like I think one of the best episodes I've ever done, and uh, I know that's not saying a lot because it's only twenty two episodes, and I've just started at this, but uh, I'm really proud of this one. So I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to Worst Pod, everybody. Thank you for listening once again. If you like what you're getting from the podcast, you can rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. Uh, the last one is actually the most important. So uh, anything you can do to help us in that regard would be really cool. Today, I wanted to discuss some fairly deep philosophical things, but using a film as the entry point. So... Um, this film, if you haven't seen it yet, it's called Ingrid Goes West. It's available on Hulu. This movie is essentially all about Instagram, uh, <laughs> the Instagram generation and what Instagram does to you. And because uh, this, I think social media in general is such a big, important topic right now and how it's impacting society, uh, I just wanted to touch on it and, and try to get at some of the underlying themes and try to tease out what it says about us, um, not only what it says about individual people who are highly engaged on these social media platforms, but mostly what it says about humanity as a whole, and trying to hint at some underlying truths, and then like maybe say some things about it that you might not have thought about before. That's the goal. I mean, I don't know a lot on this. I just know that I have listened to a lot of other smarter people talk about it. And I find this stuff to be really interesting. One thing I really enjoyed doing just throughout my childhood in high school and college is just like trying to take these really big concepts that are extremely difficult to grapple with that, um, how do I put this, that are just fun to toy with in your head and just ponder on them for a very long time to try to figure out what you can tease out. And it's not, I wasn't doing it with any particular aim. But I've had conversations with people on, you know, uh, the big the big topics that everyone thinks about: uh, pain, 
and suffering, uh, the concept of God, just the universe in general, the obvious most asked question in the world, why are we here? What are we doing? What's the purpose? All of those things to me have been really fun and interesting to play around with. And I've recently gotten into a couple of other topics that um, hint at that, but are, are kind of on a more uh, practical level. So such as uh, the hero's journey, why is that such a compelling narrative for us that it keeps reappearing millions of times over in, in fictional and uh, nonfiction stories? And uh, this one made me think a lot about order, chaos, um, trying to think, like beauty and obsession and uh, fame. And I think there's, there's like something about all of those that undergird our identity as humans. And um, I really wanted to take some time on it and just like ponder it and, and try to say some things that are new or at least put things in a way that uh, inspires you to think about other things. I'll do my best not to spoil the film uh, in so much as I won't, like, I'll try not to reveal uh, the details, but I do kind of have to say some of the plot points just because without explaining to you what it's about, you won't understand the, the other discussion that we'll, that we'll have on it. But uh, essentially, the movie, uh, I'll give you like a brief rundown of the very over, like broad overview of the plot. Uh, Ingrid is a crazy girl. Uh, she literally was in an asylum or something similar, a mental house, for a while. That's how the movie opens. And uh, we, f we basically, I mean, there's a scene where she uh, pepper sprays a bride on her wedding day. So obviously this person's unstable. And then it leads straight into basically her finding her next target. So. Uh, what we find out through the course of the film is that she she basically idealizes people online, and then it spirals downhill at some point. So that's the that's the basis of the film. It's centered around Instagram as like the uh, the main driver of the plot. The main thing that drives the plot forward is um, I don't know if that's true actually. It's uh, Instagram is used as kind of like. I don't know, a central element of the story. Let me put it that way. It is the thing that inspires her obsession. So I guess in that way it does drive the plot, but it's not like specifically driving plot points. My only major criticism of the film is I kind of feel like it doesn't go far enough. If, if the whole point is that this girl is obsessed with somebody else or some kind of lifestyle that she sees being portrayed, you would think that she would go further. I mean, uh, I'd like to see it go darker. I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of feel like you should take that to its extreme, like, and then bring it back. So it didn't really go all the way to an extreme. Um, I don't want to say too much about that because then it'll give a lot away about other things that are actually in the movie. But uh, with this movie, I feel like they used a lot of restraint. And I think in order to portray someone who is obsessed and borderline uh on the verge of a breakdown you would want to portray more of the of the insane things that get the character to the breakdown so uh 
Um, that's my one criticism of the film from just a purely, you know, filmmaking standpoint, what I like to see in, in movies I watch. But I think more important than the film itself and how it's constructed is what the film is trying to say, what it's trying to tell you. And I don't know the filmmakers, so I don't know if they're this insightful to realize that it has a much broader impact than just talking about social media. I'm sure that they intended for the message to go beyond social media, but I'm not sure just how many of these existential themes they, they thought they would hit on. Um, I, when I was watching it, I kind of noticed, the first thing I noticed was obsession, right? And that's kind of, you know what I realized? It's a major force in a lot of films, obsession. Um, because it, it takes things beyond the normal realm with which humans are comfortable. I think that is to say we all understand obsession because it is a logical end of passion. But humans have this ability to check our excesses in such a way that it doesn't result in an obsession. For most of us, for most things. I mean, there's obviously outliers on that, right? There's, there's of course, people who get drunk all the time. There's people who, you know, have fits of passion or rage. Uh, but what we consider to be acceptable in society is kind of like this natural self-modulation of obsession to keep it at a passion level, which I find particularly strange because I don't, I don't know that, I mean, it, it kind of, it feels like, sorry, for <laughs> trying to figure out the right words. It feels like we are all being bound by the same inner force that's telling us what is in excess and what is not. And then you choose as an individual whether or not you want to um, disobey that or not. And I mean, I think in different traditions and different cultures, you have different names for what this inner thing is. But I think we all admit that we are like aware of what we're doing and we're able to judge ourselves against some standard for what we believe is acceptable. And it's not, it's almost never like the law. Sometimes it is, but usually it's other factors that are impacting us to make the decisions in our lives. And yet, despite how different we all are, there seems to be like this universal code like uniting us in, in what we do and what we say and how we behave, particularly how we behave, I think. It's, uh, it's, it's strange that we all do things that are not necessarily in our self-interest, but uh, for the benefit of humanity. And that's the norm. That's not the exception. This film also talks about beauty. And um, you know, I'll break that down a little bit later. I don't think in a healthy way. <laughs> um, it talks about motivation and reward. And I don't know that it means to talk about this one, but it's, it's kind of just inherent to social media. And it's hinted at in the film, obviously, because it's all, all about social media. So I think motivation and reward kind of hint at another thing, which is fame. And in general, our um, tendency as society to order ourselves, which hints at another topic. Uh, of order versus chaos and how we as humans have this like innate drive to order the chaos like almost everything we do is ordering chaos i don't know like how much you guys have thought about this but when you go to work what do you spend most of your time on you're a lot of it's email you're sorting through ideas and then you take all these these strange fragmented ideas in your head and you consolidate them into language 
that you pass on to somebody else. And I mean, this is with anything with project management, you're taking all of these things and trying to, and all these people and trying to align them to reach a goal. And it's the same, it's like almost anything that you're doing. If you think about designing, if you think about cleaning, if you think about, I mean, uh, I mean, there are other things you can do. Obviously there are other passions there are other wants and needs for humans. But when you get like the base level figured out of how you survive after survival, there's like this inherent need for order and entertainment. Um, and we have all done this to some degree and we all continue to pursue it as a noble goal. And I think social media is kind of like a visceral manifestation of that in that what we're doing is we're taking someone's very messy, very complicated life and we're trying to cram it into uh, a series of photos that distill it into something it's not, but something that looks very orderly, which is appealing to us inherently. And I think lastly, this talks about this movie talks about authenticity as well. And what it really says is, uh, you know, I, I don't know that this is necessarily true in all, in all aspects, but when we're talking about social media, I do think authenticity is not important whatsoever. Um, people don't want authenticity. What they want is to be sold what they desire. I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into some of these topics too. So when we talk about beauty, the beauty you see on Instagram or on any social media platform, you know, before I had said Instagram is like a fictitious version. It's a front, it's a facade of what you want people to see of you. I still wholeheartedly believe that. And I said, TikTok was more real and authentic. I don't think that's necessarily true, actually. Um, part of it, part of me saying that was seeing what was on TikTok, but not really engaging with the platform very much. I wasn't like that much of an active user because I didn't want it on my phone. So what I had seen about TikTok tried to inform me. The more I understand what TikTok is, basically by observing Instagram Reels, which is the exact same thing. It's a copycat. Um, I realized more and more that TikTok is not that at all. It's just as vapid, actually maybe more than Instagram is. And this is, I think, a danger to society in that what we talk about when we talk about beauty is, at least in a historical sense, and this is my interpretation, so you can take it or you can leave it, but um, I kind of feel like what we mean when we, th we say things are beautiful is they have a very strong, well-defined order. And you may not even understand the order, but when you look at it, it is appealing. So that's, that's the general notion of beauty. And some of that is driven by physiology, if we're talking about uh, human beauty, but some of it, just like general aesthetic beauty, isn't. A lot of it isn't. I mean, when we're talking about cars, or we're talking about cathedrals, we're talking about gems, we're talking about, um, you know, just like beautiful design. We can talk about graphic design. We can talk about illustration. All of these things, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's physiologically appealing that's been in us for, you know, generations. It often is something that is just highly ordered, highly structured, and conveys a vision that somebody had. And we can look at it and we can say, this is beautiful. I understand, you know, 
uh, how much work went into it. I don't have to understand what he was trying to do with it or the goals of it because it's all subjective. It's basically art. But what you can understand by looking at a beautiful cathedral is that there was a, a designer who intended to make something. This was his vision, and this is it realized. It doesn't have to be a perfect realization of the vision as long as it comes out looking aesthetically pleasing. However, beauty in the past, the kind of beauty that was revered by past societies, always hinted at something underneath the beauty that elevated the beauty even further. So if we're talking about art, just as one example, usually the greatest art hints at a shared experience or something that we have all you know, experienced together or some kind of tradition. We're talking about uh, Da Vinci's Last Supper, right? Or uh, even Starry Night. We've all seen a Starry Night. These things are uniting and they, they convey something beautiful about the underlying uh, ideal or elements. And this is the easiest illustration of this is a cathedral where you have this beautiful church, but the church means nothing without the underlying ideology. It's, it's pretty, but it doesn't mean anything without the underlying ideology of Christianity that people found to be beautiful and thought, if this is the place where God dwells, I want it to be a visual and physical manifestation of the underlying root elements of this philosophy. But the kind of beauty that you see on social media today is uh, basically useless. I mean, if it's not hinting at an ideal, and the ideal isn't a positive one that we have cherished throughout society, through our tradition, what's the point? Um, And you can argue that some influencers are doing this if they're hinting at like a religious uh a religious truth i guess you could argue that but the majority of the influencers today who are most popular are not in any way affiliated with the religious truth and don't preach it on a daily basis and uh you know i'm not just talking about christianity or anything like that it could be something else underlying it that is a universal truth that we've all come to agree on in western society but um I do also think that the Bible is is the key founding document of Western society. I don't think you can argue with that either. Like, even if you're an atheist, you can't really argue with the fact that the Bible and Christianity is the modern, is the underpinning of modern society, modern Western democratic society. And I think that's most clear in like, if you look at the Old Testament, it's basically this idea that the shared state together in in the book, it's obviously Israel is in some way responsible for the, in, the enacting, the enabling, and the, uh, all of the structures of religion and morality. And then in the New Testament, it translates to the individual. And it becomes individual responsibility and uh, an independent act. And it has a much stronger focus on free will. And those are all like key elements of Western society that, that literally were taken straight from the Bible by not just our founders, but by the French, by the British, by you know, all of these Western democracies and distilled into this worldview. So you can argue on the merits of you know, uh, 
all of these individual aspects of society, but you can't argue that the aspects of society were taken from the Bible, the, uh, the religious tradition of Christianity. That's where they came from. That's just like a historical fact at this point. So I guess to wrap that all up, I don't think that this form of beauty is helpful in any way to society. And then when we talk about obsession, this is like the main theme throughout the film. So I found it to be particularly interesting. Uh, I don't think obsession is strange. I've already said this, but like it's basically what you're doing is you're taking something that we all experience and, and you're just taking it to the extreme. And what the only thing that's missing in the narrative is the lack of like a control mechanism that's kind of inbuilt that pulls back these base impulses that we all have. So I don't, I don't necessarily think obsession as it's portrayed in the film is that interesting. It's, it's fascinating, but in a, in a, um, I'll, I'll get to this later when I talk about fame, but the things that fascinate us aren't necessarily that interesting or that compelling. Uh, what it is, is it, this one in particular with obsession, it's, it's just unifying. We can all relate to it. And I think like when you see somebody else uh, with a behavior that reminds you of something you know about yourself, it enhances your understanding of yourself because you can see yourself in these other people. And you know, for better or for worse, you can figure out how you should be relating to that character or maybe you should be modifying your behavior based on the character that's on screen. I mean, this, this just speaks to the power of film, I think, and, and television in general. All of the things that we're seeing before our eyes impact who we are and how we behave because they, they all tie in. And <laughs> I don't know that a lot of people realize this because I didn't until, you know, I don't know, fairly recently, that all of these narratives are tied into this universal story that we tell. And they're based on a lot of the same key tropes and concepts. And for some reason, we've decided that these particular concepts and tropes are important to us as humans together. We've all collectively decided this. The Bible itself is a good example of this. It's a comedy story, essentially, but it's a, that's weird calling the Bible a comedy, but it essentially is, it has a happy ending to it. And in the middle, you have tragedy and quite a lot of humor, actually, if you, if you understand it. <laughs> um, but it's, um, it's 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 an interesting book that kind of like takes all of these key concepts that we've been stewing on as a society and puts them into one form from a bunch of different authors, right? Collects them all together and makes them a narrative. It's it's the most important book ever written. And you can't again from a non-Christian perspective, you have to agree with that because <laughs> it's clearly the most sold book, it's clearly the most read book. It's it is historically important beyond anything else it's survived empires and will continue to survive empires so you have the bible doing that you also have things like the hero's journey so if you if you've ever watched a movie that's based mostly on one character it's probably the hero's journey told one way or another the best example of this is obviously star wars um which is basically a story all about darth vader even though it seems like a story about luke i, I would say like Within the first three movies, there's this smaller hero's journey for Luke, but really the entire, you know, the entire one through six, at least, are about Darth Vader. 
And then with seven, eight, and nine, they they didn't know who it was about. They just like made it up as they went, so it turned out terribly. But in essence, it's it's the same hero's journey that you've seen in things like uh, what's that English uh, Beowulf? I mean, you've seen it in Hercules as well. Even if you just watched a Disney movie, that's the hero's journey. That's like those are the two most like prototypical uh, older examples, and obviously those are taken from really old traditions. Uh, but we have things like today if we're just talking about film harry potter is the hero's journey star wars is the matrix is spider-man the lion king lord of the rings anything that kind of relies on one person who has this like is is in a static state is called to do something important then uh refuses the call then goes and does it after meeting with people and consulting them and tries to tries to make it and then they're faced with a whole bunch of trials and then at the end, they get some kind of reward. And then they're basically exalted um, as some kind of a hero. That's the hero's journey. And, you know, I don't know how long that was, 15 seconds. <laughs> I mean, and the Bible is the hero's journey as well. So if you're looking at, at least the, the New Testament is. Anyway, all these stories are all trying to tell us something about ourselves. And they're things that we've decided are important. Because for some reason, humans have this innate desire to strive toward a goal. And then we hit that goal, we make a new goal, and we strive toward that goal. And this is just like the thing that perpetuates humanity forward and keeps us light years ahead of all the other animals on the planet who don't have any sort of foresight or self-awareness or ability to plan for the future. Even the simple act of, just think about this, even the simple act of saving money is a key differentiator for us from animals take it down even further even the concept of money is a key differentiator from of us you know from animals because we've created the system where we can give each other some kind of credit for things we value to help us strive toward goals isn't that weird like so think about this like you you pay someone money they give you something that you need so you go to the store, you give them money, they give you food. That's, that satisfies your base needs, right? Like, I need food and shelter. Once, once you have that figured out, you're basically exchanging these credits for the things that you need to do in order to move up society, move up in status in society. So it, it just finds that, I find that super fascinating that we as a society have determined that we're going to allow other people to, we're going to allow ourselves as a big organization to order ourselves by what the individual does with the resources he or she is given, which is essentially the, I mean, it's, it's, it hints at a bunch of different things in the Bible, but it, it hints at the prodigal son a lot. Um, the, the idea that you should do good things with the resources you are given. So as a society, we've created this order. We have all these same narratives that draw us all together, that bind us together. And this gets to the chaos order part of the film. I think like uh, when we're first starting out in life, it's incredibly chaotic. And when you're in high school or middle school, high school, college, even for a lot of people, you're trying to figure yourself out still. This is why you pass through these awkward phases where you try to identify with a group like you. I mean, I had a weird phase in elementary school where I like wore like surf and skate apparel and I didn't surf or skate at all, but that was just like SoCal culture. So you're trying to figure out like which group you're belonging to. And in that process, 
you're figuring out what you like and what you don't like based on yourself and everyone around you. And in that sense, you can create your own reality. If it goes well and you have enough of these data points to pick from in your life, you create your own reality around what, what is important to you. If this process doesn't go well, <laughs> what ends up happening is you're trying to figure out yourself for your whole life, basically. And you're trying to find someone else that you identify with, something else that can inform you or can, I mean, basically take the place of your own identity. So, and, and this happens to some people, but in the film, this is, this is what the film is about. It's about a woman who uh, doesn't really have a sense of self-identity, didn't, didn't complete this process of figuring out who they were early in life, and thus she feels a need to identify with somebody or something that can give her meaning. She's trying to order her own chaos, in, in a sense, right? And the only way she knows how is by pulling in someone else's order and trying to uh, align herself with it. So in the order that you, the order, the kind of which we see in the movie and the kind of which we're seeing all over, you know, society today, because society is mostly virtual right now, um, which is a weird thing to say. I never thought I would say that for another 20, 30 years. But if you think about it, society being mostly virtual is the reality. and. Um, <laughs> I don't know that any of us envisioned this happening. But uh, if we're talking about bringing order out of chaos, I mean, in the social media context, it's mostly curation and then calling the bad and augmenting the good. It's, I mean, a one way to think of it is it's essentially virtual cosmetic surgery. Like what you're doing is you're stripping away the things you don't like or somehow altering them to look better and adding things that aren't necessarily true it's it's a it's a large it's a large scale fabrication. That's what, <laughs> I mean that's essentially what virtual cause that's what that's what real cosmetic surgery is. It's a fabrication, right? You're I mean both in a practical sense and in a uh, you know fictitious versus versus nonfiction sense sense because you're fabricating like in the in the sense of like a metal shop metal fabrication or something, right? But you're also literally putting on this facade, which is you know, another sense of another, another interpretation of the word fabrication. And like I said earlier, this is literally just trying to take chaos and order it. This is what we do. We have this weird, weird, strange, innate drive to like order everything. Like, why are we, I mean, why do we build anything? <laughs> why don't we just live with like something over our head to protect us? And that's, a, that's all we need. But we, we have this idea that like progress is the ideal. And I think that's healthy. I think the, the idea that progress itself is the ideal is healthy. But the way that that manifests sometimes is unhealthy because in order to get to somewhere that progress is a reality, you have to actually attain a goal. And sometimes in striving for the goal, the goal becomes a kind of idol and you pursue it with abandon. And that's, that's literally what the movie is about. Um, I, it's funny how it, it's all like, it's all, it feels very, broad and like unordered this whole podcast i know but everything that i'm talking about ties back in and it's funny to see how it like pops up as i'm just talking um but this is what we're trying to do with our society this is what we try to do in ourselves and bringing order from the chaos is what this movie is about it's her life is chaotic she sees this other person with this life that seems perfectly ordered even though it's actually chaotic what they're both striving toward is that order, which 
innately and informs one's sense of self. I know I've already been waxing poetic for like 30 minutes, but um, <laughs> one more thing I wanted to get at was fame. And fame in the age of social media, fame in the age of, like I said, this virtual society we're living in now, it's quite interesting. I'm trying, I tried to like think through and pin down what causes fame or like what is the most intriguing, the most fascinating thing to us as humans that's like a unifying element. Uh, unifying meaning like what do we all agree on are interesting things. And I think there's a few things that I pinned down. This isn't obviously everything, but like idealism is one of them. Um, I, and this, I, I'm, I thought of a few examples for each of these. Idealism in that, obviously, social media, we've already talked about Instagram and TikTok at length. But if we talk about multi-level marketing schemes, they sell you this ideal of working from home and making tons of money because some of their people do that. But what you don't realize is that in order for an MLM to be successful, um, basically, your customers aren't really customers. They're your employees, and you're taking advantage of your employees to enrich yourself and everyone above you in the scheme. So at some point, I'm going to do a whole other podcast on multi-level marketing schemes, and I'm not going to leave out the ones that I've seen most common, like Beauty Counter and um, the essential oil companies like Young Living, or what's the other one? I forget, doTERRA, doTERRA. Um, these things are like, they're just awful schemes to just rip people off. And I'm sorry if you're represented for them or you, have, you know somebody who is, but the reality is most people in those things don't make money. They lose money by paying up the line and the people at the top of the scheme benefit most. So it's, it's not a healthy thing to be involved in. But in a sense, all these MLMs are selling you an idealized version of work life, work, and family life balance. They're also selling that. Uh, it's just, it's, it's selling you what you want in life, which is essentially to work very little for a lot of money. We see this on reality TV a lot of times where you have a couple who looks perfect and they have like a perfect family and they, they have quote unquote quarrels or, or fights, but they're not real fights. They're over like, who's going to do what that day or something stupid. And they, they make it out to be something bigger than it actually is. This is, I mean, even if it's not like a perfect family life, most reality TV sells you an ideal in some way. Like the Kardashian show sells you this phony beauty. Um, the ball show, Ball is Life, sells you the idea of money and uh, fame. The, I don't know, what else? Anything sells you something about idealism. The Chip and Joanna Gaines show sells you this idea of like this perfect Christian family life. It's the same thing with uh, the Duggar show, which we found out was. I mean, mostly true, but also hiding some things about the family that they didn't want to get out. And when it did, everything imploded. So what else? What else is what else are these things that propel people to fame um, that are like key elements of fame that other people decide to exalt? Another one is just like generally what I'm calling this is rubbernecking, but I think it's just like catastrophe. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, you see car accidents, car crashes, or things like that that you can't look away from. Reality TV, again, sells this with the, you know, the married at first sight stuff, or uh, just like my 600-pound life. All these things, they're just selling you, I mean, catastrophe, things you couldn't believe unless you saw them. 
So that's, that's another thing that, that propels people to fame, but <laughs> probably not good for society. And I don't know, I, I mean, you'd have to do a lot of studying to figure out why people are exalting these things or why people are interested in taking part in these things and propelling these things to fame. And another one is novelty. And this is just my three that I thought up off the top of my head. There's probably a bunch more, but you have things like um, sex, crime, all the true crime stuff on Netflix and elsewhere. You have um, suicide, which is uh, part of the story. I won't tell you what part it is or the, the film. Uh, I won't tell you what part it is or who's involved in it or uh, whether or not it's successful, but suicide is part of the story. But you see this also with 13 Reasons Why. For some reason, humans have this innate desire to like see these things that are things that in the past society didn't want to talk about. And another more, you know, I think beneficial example of this is the intellectual dark web. We're propelling a lot of these people who have these platforms to new heights because they're saying things that are unpopular or new or in some way trigger this, this um, something in our brain that makes us want to hear more. All of these things are novelty. All of these things have to do with fame and how you achieve fame, um, what you can sell people or what you can show people that will get you fame. And I don't necessarily think, I think most of them are unhealthy. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think all of them are healthy. I, I think most of them are unhealthy. But in essence, this film talks about a lot of really key concepts. I wanted to just take some time to like think through them and talk through them because it's interesting to me. I hope you find it interesting too. Um, these, this, Film is really deep, and I don't. I know it tries to be deep, but I don't know that it tries to be this deep <laughs> um, as I'm making it. Um, but I, I do think there are some like really key takeaways here, and it provided me a vehicle to talk about deeper philosophical stuff that I didn't know really how to get into without talking about it through some kind of like relatable lens. So if you haven't seen Ingrid Goes West, go watch it on Hulu and think about all these concepts as you're watching, like, okay, there's beauty, there's obsession, there's motivation, reward, there's fame, there's order and chaos, there's authenticity. Like, is it a, a little point on authenticity too? Like, I think a good way to think about authenticity in the term, in, in the realm of social media is there's very little of it, but essentially when we're talking about authentic or non-authentic, we're talking about um, non-fiction versus fiction. So uh, if you're, the problem is that we're getting fiction sold as nonfiction. So if, if you want to view it through that lens, it's really interesting, I think, because if we had fiction that was sold to us as fiction, we're fine with it. We should be, because as long as it's clear, it's fiction. That's, that's cool. But what we're, what we're doing is now we're, we're warping the sense of what is reality. And I don't think that's healthy. It's the same thing with like truth and lies right now. We're warping the sense of what is truth. And if we don't have these like pillars of society to stand on, the society will collapse. It just, it's only a matter of time. There's, um, there's a lot of leading scholars today who don't think democracy can, uh, American democracy can last another 30 to 50 years. So there's a growing consensus that this experiment is going to end. And the key things that we need to do to keep the experiment intact are to agree on the pillars and the pillars of of what is true, right? And we need to have mechanisms that make it clear what is true and what is not. And then what is authentic, which it's the same, it's the same argument, but truth and, fi truth and lies and 
fiction and nonfiction are in some ways different because one is storytelling. But I think we need to get we need to get really clear on what is true and what is not, and what is authentic and what is not, or we're gonna the whole thing comes tumbling down, and uh, thousands of years of work come tumbling down with it, um, and lots of blood, sweat, and tears. And I'm talking about blood, as in millions of people dead. Uh, we have to start this process essentially all over again if we don't get this right. So um, maybe we should try to get it right. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of like, I understand why we're at where we're at in society when we're not able to interact personally and everything is virtual. And yet I think it's really bad, really, really, really bad for society. Not like if you're talking about, let's talk about COVID a little bit, just, just briefly. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but like the discussion in the public sphere has been like the economic cost versus the, the uh, medical or health cost, right? Like what is worth more and what is more important? And you have one side arguing one and one side arguing the other thing, but no one is arguing like what this lack of human interaction is going to do to us as, as, as a people who have for literally thousands of years only made progress by interacting with each other in person. Like this is a huge, like, Okay, we thought social media was a big social experiment because we didn't know how this reward system in our brain would interpret these things to include, this includes cell phones and all sorts of technology, but social media particularly. We, we keep talking about that, like this is a huge social experiment. We're not sure if it's healthy. It's proving, it's looking like it's unhealthy. Like we need to do something about this, but we're not talking at all about what half a year to a year of isolation from each other is going to do to our societies. This. This is the longest period that people, I think, in which people, if you're talking about like by a percentage of the population, have had less contact with other people in a physical setting than has ever been done before, I think, in history. Like, I can't think of a time historically when people were this isolated uh, from their own tribes. Like, it's not like we're like isolated geographically like people used to be. It's like even among our tribes, like even among our communities, we're not getting out and talking to each other. And it's never happened on a scale like this either. So I'm just, I'm worried not only about the economic impact of this, but also about the social impact of this, not only for people who are full grown adults who have had the other side of it, but more importantly, we've seen what social media has done to a generation uh, in that millennials and Gen Zers don't interact with each other on a physical basis and don't like physical conversation as much what's going to happen to this new generation like i guess it's gen zers but also younger than them what are they i think they're i think it starts over again so they're probably generation alpha so like what is gen a going to do about (laughs) about this like how is it going to impact their development their social development their social skills when they're super young like if the time difference like when you're like zero to 10, that is packed, jam packed with development. If someone misses one tenth of that, what does that do to their development? Like of the social interaction? What does that do? We don't know. I kind of feel like we need to be talking about that too. Like what are the social consequences and what does that mean? Like what's the ramifications of that? As a, as a society, we generally shy away from like these philosophical or these deeper conversations, like on just a, like a natural person to person basis, but we need to be talking about these things. 
All right, enough enough pontification and uh, and musing for today. But uh, I just wanted to give you that. I wanted to make this a good long podcast because I missed Tuesday for you guys. But this podcast will probably go to once a week uh, as things ramp up in my my other responsibilities in life. So hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you can rate, you can review, and you you can subscribe. And you can also share this with your friends, anyone you think might be interested in philosophy or just like grappling with these big topics might enjoy this. So thanks so much for your time. I hope you have a wonderful day. This has been a Worst Pop production.